Hi, friends of the pod. So before we start this week's episode, we wanted to let you know that we have swag and it's yours if you want to help us out just a tiny, tiny bit. So if you rate and write a review of the podcast, we will send you some of our groovy shit, including a Better Red Than Dead themed button and stickers. For the button, you have your choice of one that says book jerk or one that is an image of Frankenstein that says large adult son. And for the stickers, you get two, and one's of the logo, and the other is a heart-shaped die-cut sticker that says, I like you more than Trotsky, referencing our 1984 episode. All you need to do to get your hands on this awesome, much-anticipated swag is to send a screenshot of you posting the review to betterredpodcast at gmail.com, along with the address you'd like us to mail your thank you gift to. So let us know whether you want the book jerk button or the Frankenstein button. And thank you very much for all your support. Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead. It's a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are going to be talking about Heart of Darkness, which is Joseph Conrad's 1899 novella about empire and the Congo and a big river boat, etc. So, Tristan, why did you want to read Heart of Darkness? Yeah, so I'm really interested in in 18th and 19th century texts that are just freaked the fuck out about empire. Um, We've talked about those, you know, quite a lot, kind of everything I I suggest we read. Uh, You know, it's part, those are the parts of Crusoe that I actually like. You know, we definitely saw that a lot in Gulliver. Uh, You know, Hawthorne is is freaked out about empire in the American context. You know, and so on on the one hand, you could say that by 1899, when Conrad's writing this, um, of course, you're going to start to see more scathing critiques of empire than at earlier times. It's very late in the age of European imperialism. Independence and anti-colonial movements are starting to coalesce all over the place. And, you know, very soon that kind of 19th century imperial world order is going to start to come apart um, and pretty quickly. Um, although I do want to just pause and say, you know, a- as good Marxists, I think that we're all on board with like empire didn't really go anywhere. It's like the content of the form changed, but, you know, the 20th century moved things to the other side of the Atlantic and, and moved things to the corporation rather than rather than the nation state. But, you know, that's kind of a decide. But, you know, so on the other hand, this is the British Empire at the height of its power, though. Uh, you know, 1899, it's still the sun never sets and all that bullshit. And, but, you know, and Conrad, nevertheless, is like, nope, this is fucked and it's going to kill us all, which I think is compelling and, and frankly, pretty, pretty cool. And it also, uh, Heart of Darkness also locates imperial power in a way that I think is very modern. You know, the novella takes place in the Belgian Congo, but Belgium, you know, in scare quotes, is pretty much a stand-in for all of Europe. Um, there's this one line that I'm sure we'll talk about uh, where the narrator says, all Europe contributed to the making of Kurtz, which, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's pretty much the case. Uh, it, it, this isn't a book that's trying to figure out which nation does empire right. It's a book that's saying there is no right way. And anyway, this is all a form of capital and not a specific country that's doing things badly. So I actually, like, I have many reasons for wanting to read this but i wonder tristan if we're going to be slightly like at odds here because for me this like think about the novel's traditions this i think of as being one of those like or modernist novels like to me this is like unconditionally a 20th century novel even though it's 1899 so that's an interesting sort of 
distinction. I think it has a lot to do with reception history, right? So like 20th century mm-hmm. people have fully claimed Joseph Conrad and said that's part of it. It has ton of the hallmarks of modernist prose in the sense that it's very stream of consciousness. And Marlowe in particular is always like doing this weird, like we can't call it parataxis in prose, but he's always changing thoughts midstream. He's thinking about one thing and then he's like veers around to doing another. And it's like very, um, you know, my boyfriend, William James, is the person who says stream of consciousness. So I'm like deeply up his butt about this. <laughs> And I think this book is very much about the unconscious in both a collective and an individual way in the sense that it's like, for the most part, characters do not operate with any uh, knowingness at all. They tend to operate very like according to instinct, which is really interesting. And all of its symbolic order is like dark, hidden, incoherent, obsessive, sexual, unreasonable, and id-like, which I think is great. So it's a novel that I like for a lot of reasons, but a big one is that I'm just not sure, or it's like a point of conversation to say where it fits in, like generically, historically, politically, epistemologically. And I think that's just a major point for our discussion. Yeah, definitely. Katie? Well, I remember reading this in high school and being just just impossibly bored by the first uh like 10 pages, pages of it oh. <laughs> yeah for, for, by the by the first and entire 50 pages of it and so i was thinking like this is going to be great because like never before has an author combined violence and racism and colonialism <laughs> into a denser into a denser package and still manage to be so boring it is like it is the unskimmable yeah um, it's totally unskimmable yeah. It is like it truly like the ingredients to Skittles are more skimmable. Right. Like this is just <laughs> yeah. Imp- yeah. impossibly dense. The the other thing that I sort of recalled about it and made me excited to talk about this was that so I remembered that it was about all of these uh, about uh empire and colonialism and and like extraction and all this stuff, but it's also about uncles getting jobs for their dumbass nephews and like and and like dads who are like if i don't give my stupid son a make work job then he'll just fritter (laughs) his life away doing cocaine off of the back of his samsung galaxy phone (laughs) yeah also like there's this nice quality like we have all these sort of like almost unnamed unknown characters and i thought that was cool and now I kind of think it's cool in this way that's like, it's like very breakfast clubby. It's like, we were a manager. We were a lawyer. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. We were a jock. Yeah. We were a popular girl. But actually, you can also do like, we were a racist. We were another racist. <laughs> right. and we were a third different kind, <laughs> kind of, of racist. racist. Yeah. Still one. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. great. Also, I love adjectives. <laughs> yeah. You are in luck, my so. friend. So today we are going to be talking about primarily imperialism and the figure of the double. We are going to be talking about rivers and boats because this is still boat cast. And we're going to be talking about the stupidity and greed and fucked upness of the colonizer. When you were talking about like how unskimmable it is, it, it yeah, because I mean that like I think that that boredom is actually like a really important effect of like what it's trying to achieve, which is that like 
I mean, the whole thing is like beset by this terror, but at the same time, it's very low key terror. And a lot of the time you're just bored out of your mind, like plodding slowly <laughs> up this river. But so like you're, 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 as you're reading, you're like, there's an important detail that's going to pop through, but I just don't know when, uh, cause it kind of just, right. you know, when that happens, it just kind of like bleeds into the rest of a paragraph. It's like, and then we were going to went another two miles and the jungle was still green. You know, like, <laughs> right and then and, you're you skip a line and you're like wait there are piles of people who are dying of yeah, starvation yeah. here like how yes. that you know like you just get through something until it's like he traces some sort of like weird uh thematic form right so he's like oh it's very very stinky right because like the jungle is always super stinky and then you're like not even a full sentence away and you're like it's stinky because there's tons of bodies here yeah. Yes, and there's all there is a lot of dead bodies in this. Oh yeah. Too. Yeah. Tristan, I also I, I I would love to know your hot take about the um the the boatness of the boat. <laughs> I was so like I couldn't. I was like, this is death for sure, not a ship. But like, yeah. especially because this is like the trashiest trashed up boat. Yeah. Well, right. And it's so it's a it's a you know they're they're going. But it does have your favorite quality, which is that it is a vehicle of pure empire. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 I love. I yes. Yes. I lo- lo- love those. Love. Uh, love those. Um. Yeah. Well, it's because it's a, for one, it's a steamboat, right? And that, like, actually, that's an important technological advance of the mid 19th century that opened up to like kind of European conquest places like you know the interior of of, of what's now the Congo, um, because you know you could go upstream and all that. But at the same time, it's like this boat which can't be that old seems like it's 150 years old. Yes, like it's yes. like everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thing Jesus. I love about it. Yeah. The, the ship, the shippiness of this book is, uh, or boatiness of it really is, uh, is, is, is very part of that. It's like that everything in this place is broken, even though like none of it's that old, you know what I mean? It's like, right. it's like there, there's this like kind of preternatural or advanced uh, state or like kind of precocious decay Right. Like oh, it's yeah. like, but, but wait, like the, the Belgians just got here and this already seems like an empire that's in a state of collapse, which I think is, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's also like yeah. everything feels like it has a particular kind of life to it in the sense that like every part of the jungle is alive. Right. So it's like the water is alive and the trees and the boat, the boat has like a monster living in it. Mm-hmm. right like that's what he says yeah. of the steam engine is that it like sounds like this colossal monstrous thing yeah so like the boat itself has this like creepy moldy dying animal yeah and it won't go on the water it won't go zoom zoom on the water <laughs> no. well, even, not want to go zoom zoom even when it's operating like tip-top shape it's still like they're going like literally like two miles an hour like of this yeah. thousand mile long river <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> Megan, I don't know if you're gonna if you're gonna ruin my fantasy right now, but I have a but I have a fantasy about Conrad that in fact he wrote this boat book, but like he had never seen a boat. He had been on a canoe for maybe like three hours in his life. Because he keeps using like all the boat words. He's just like, it's a yacht, it's a ship, it's a this, it's a that. And so like my fantasy about Conrad is that um he did a crime and he needed to concoct he needed to concoct an alibi oh. that had to do with him having been on a boat at I the time. It. So his so his like yeah, I've got No, so sadly his- he is a very boat guy. He knows a lot. He knows his shit. 
but Katie say that that he made all that up, right? Like he actually wasn't yeah, a boat guy. Not a boat <laughs> but guy. that's his alibi that he concocted. He was like, I was in Borneo, JK. I was killing my second cousin. Yes, I think that's what it because because there's one point where somebody walks up behind someone else is like, uh, you're looking very nautical today, sir. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just like you have goddamn never been on a boat in your life. It's it's like uh, you know, those little like short stories that you give to kids where like they have to solve the mystery like it's, it's like such a tell it's like like you're supposed to know that this guy couldn't have been on a boat because like no boating man would call a call a steamboat a yacht i'm gonna right. get some shame-faced email about this but now i'm just like do you think he just watched a lot of gilbert and sullivan and was like that's yes. what boats are like right guys yes i think he saw steamboat willie and i think he, he went off <laughs> No, I'm like, when did the HMS Pinafore come out? I like my sister is would know this, so I'm sad that she's not here. Yeah. But like, yeah, he just watched like a boat play and was like, I think that's what a boat is like. <laughs> he watched br- the Bravo show Below Deck. It's the crew of like a yacht the rich people ride on, and the captain, the one captain's tagline is, "I like big boats, and I cannot lie." <laughs> Jesus, Harrison yeah. Christ yep so he so he i think he watched like a season or two of below deck and was like yeah i can fuck with this i can fuck with this yeah <laughs> yeah gilbert and salt like the first thing of hms pinafore is 1878 so this is like mm, i think you might be right okay you're gonna really we have fucked my little context blurb by the way uh- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, and I, I have to say, I've always thought, like, what if Gilbert and Sullivan had made Heart of Darkness a musical? Like, how delightful a romp would that have been? <laughs> I would pay a shitload of money to see that. And I would have very much have wanted. No, why didn't? Why, I mean, the real question is like, why wasn't that the Coppola movie? <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 because we all know that marlon brando can sing not at all from the guys and dolls from whatever that is 1951 oh right yeah yep yep yep, yep. he can't sing p.s he's terrible no I, yes yeah exactly um, i mean there's an episode wonderful. of glee where they do heart of darkness that's yes that works i've never seen that show but i'm gonna trust you because ryan murphy sucks <laughs> sorry now i guess i'm coming out swinging coming out swinging Okay, so here's the context. This is yet another magazine novel. Hooray! Like our previous 1899 novella, The Awakening, which is also in magazine. And this did not, however, get Joseph Conrad canceled. Um, (laughs) But it is one of his earlier works. It's before Nostromo and The Secret Agent. It's certainly his most famous work. It's, again, very, very famously the basis for Apocalypse Now, which I think we all know. It's 1979. It's been staged at least twice as a radio drama, the first time by Orson Welles in 1938, which is another one of those, like, if you had if you had said to me, oh, did somebody stage this as a radio play? And I would have made up. Oh, yeah, Orson Welles did. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, right. that's so perfect that, that you could, it sounds like somebody made it up. And like... Our boyfriend Herman Melville, Conrad was also a seafaring man. He um, he was in the Merchant Marines for the French. He made passages to the Belgian Congo before this. Before he wrote this, he had been in Borneo. He had spent some time in India, and he was Polish born, but he was a Russian citizen. Which Tristan, you may know more about this. I just happen not to know very much about the citizenship laws of Eastern Europe at that time. Mm-hmm. 
English is not his first language. He didn't speak it well until he was in his 20s, which I was sort of like angry about because I love the way this is written. And I'm annoyed that you can write like this in your second language. I think um, third, actually. I think French was his second. But I think could, French yeah. is his second language. Yeah, actually, now that you mentioned okay. it, I think you're right. Um, it's purely, it's a, it's very Nabokovian. And so that matters in the sense of like his, uh, his language acquisition, but also in the sense that Poland is very much contested territory at that time. And so there are people who think that his point of view on the colony is inflected by that i think it's hard to make a really strong claim but that is a point of view that people have the other thing that i just want to sort of like open up as a question is that i have sort of claimed that this is a modern novel or a modernist novel and people in the in sort of british modernist studies really look at it as a as a transitional case between realist or victorian fiction and modernism the other person katie you can talk about this too is like Henry James is another one of those sort of like case studies of between the 19th and 20th centuries. And I think I'm not trying to divorce it from 19th century fiction, but I will say that I think it has so many of the hallmarks of what we now would call modernism that it really serves well to think about it as inaugurating something new in the novella and in the novel. So that's stuff that I think we should think about. Sadly, he did, as it seems, know a shitload about boats. Should I actually do the summary yeah, before do, we do get any summary, further? That, yeah. So this is a flashback novella. Spoilers, I guess. Which is a genre that I, at some point we should talk about because it's a, it's a really interesting sort of cinematographic. It's a, it's framed right and like. When at least when I was in college in my first year of classes, and I was talking about like I was taught about framing, like what's a what's a novel inside of a novel? Yes. Yeah, right. So it's like totally. turn of the screw is one where somebody's telling the story, or even the Scarlet Letter, right? Because Hawthorne is like, let me tell you the story that I learned about through these papers. Yes. So even though this is a very like new critical sort of question, it's I don't know, like it helped me think about books more good. <laughs> <laughs> like why is it framed anyway? Uh, so Marlowe is telling the story, retelling the story of his journey through the Belgian Congo as the captain of an ivory trading steamboat. He is telling the story from a different boat. They're on the Thames. And so that the Thames is used as sort of a, a counterweight or a touchstone for the Congo in a way that I think we should all talk about because mm-hmm. of this thing where this book is very concerned with the double. So Marlowe's previous journey involved him going to Africa to captain this vessel, although the trip is super fucked up from the beginning. He has to go find his boat once he arrives in Africa by traveling both on foot and by another boat. But once he gets to where his boat is supposed to be, it has been shipwrecked and has to be rebuilt. And he has a little he has a couple temper tantrums about this. So he has to wait around several months for these repairs And it's during this time that he begins to hear lots of stories about Kurtz, who is a station agent and trader who's sick and holding up the trade networks because of it. He's at a station down the river, up the river, up the river, up the river. Thank you. Um, Tristan knows how a river flows. Some people in this rumor mill think that he's the greatest thing ever. Someone refers to him as a prodigy. We know he's been picked by management as, quote, 
the council in Europe means to be somebody in the administration before long. Eventually, though, their boat is repaired, and Marlow and his small crew head toward the heart of darkness, up the Congo. Their boat is at one point attacked from the shore. They are having arrows either, like, flung or shot at them that are apparently not very scary. Like, they're tiny, but he's scared that they're poison. So it's, again, because everything in this book is double fucked up or ironic or hilarious in some way. It's like, we might be killed, but we're not sure. And, of course, there is actually this really distressing, tragic death scene where his helmsman is stabbed with a spear and has, I think, a deeply affecting death scene that I just did not... I never predict it when I read this. I don't Mm -hmm. quite get his attachment to this Congolese man who dies in this really bleak scene. So yeah, that's it's quite startling. But eventually he does find Kurtz's station because it's surrounded by native Congolese people and also this clown person who is Russian and definitely not not Dennis Hopper. <laughs> And he tells him what a genius Kurtz is and how all the natives worship him. And he uses the word natives. Marlo, who is like not super doing great himself, thinks that Kurtz has gone mad and is not in fact some genius poet, warrior, king, but a crazy pants. Marlo's crew, the pilgrims, find Kurtz and take him onto their boat on their return trip, both Kurtz and Marlow are in swiftly declining health. But before he dies, Kurtz is in his little cabin, and they have this last conversation, and Kurtz says something to the effect of, like, I'm just looking into the darkness waiting to die. And his finest, final words are, the horror, the horror, and he's buried along the river. Marlow doesn't want to witness it. He just knows that the, the people are burying something muddy. And when Marlowe returns to England, he finds himself very icked out by London, and he finds it gross and depraved. He finds the people gross and depraved. People keep showing up to Marlowe's house place to get Kurtz's papers, which Kurtz has, of course, given to Marlowe, but he doesn't want to hand them over. And a big part of that is like, somehow in the jungle, he and Kurtz became like bros, and he's the only person who gets him. So he doesn't want to give away this part of Kurtz. Marlo eventually goes to see Kurtz's fiance. They say his intended. And she is still in mourning after more than a year, which isn't something you are supposed to be after that long. And she's distraught and obviously quite confused about like what happened to Kurtz. He tells her, quote, his end was in every way worthy of his life, which it certainly wasn't. And that his final words were her name, which is so grotesque when we know, of course, that his final words were the horror, yeah. the horror. And um, Kurtz, of course, lives to sail another day. So I, yeah, that was like a weird plot summary because I feel like I didn't get into the gross or fucked up parts because the plot summary doesn't actually tell you in this weird way, like how fucked up this book is. Yeah. 
so this is the second late Victorian text that we've done on the show, Bra Dracula being the first. Uh, Bram Stoker is from Ireland, uh, you know, and Ed Conrad is from Poland. And both of them, I mean, you know, Dracula, I think, is a much more like sort of like pro-Britain novel in a lot of ways. But there was that thing that we talked a little bit about how like, oh, like Britain's going to fail and America's the new ascendant power. Yeah. Um, and, and, and just, just which is, I don't think is a sentiment that's like coming out of the British metropole at that time. But from these outsiders who are coming there to do that we you know i just it's like it's interesting to me that it's like that that, that some kind of distance from that ultra britishness uh, might produce more space for potential critique or something like that and not a not an outsiderness that like some expats have i mean this is later but somebody like t.s Eliot is like super sucking the english dick so hard mm -hmm. that he's yeah. like oh this is they're better than us and right. that so they're not doing that version of expatriate at all no they're they're like there's there's a certain fragility that's already demonstrated itself to be just embedded in british colonial power mm -hmm. yeah or i think for conrad in particular it's like actually this is like a fundamentally corrupted yes yeah totally right to white people i mean corrupted <laughs> to white people that i still like have a problem i like that's where i come in with achebe on this is that it's no like, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, the people that fucks up are white people which is yeah. still like mm, i i don't disagree that it's fundamentally corrupting i just think it's a yes little like, well sure, no and, and but... no and and there yeah and, and i mean there is a hell of a lot of, of like the way marlo talks about the congolese and i don't just mean this like you know fairly like habitual use of, of the n-word um like he's just very kind of like fluidly reproducing like kind of paternalistic tropes of of empire um you know so it, it is and and i don't think that that's just like the, that the novel is super distant from the character at that point i i don't know but but like I, I guess that um at the same time it is like the idea under sort of like liberal imperialism that the mission of like the british empire was to like civilize and enlighten these unfortunate people it's like Conrad's like, no, how? That's absolutely not what's happening. What's happening is, you know what I mean? So like, yeah, I do think that it, it, it thinks about this primarily as a problem for white people. And it is quite racist in a lot of ways. But I, I think that it's I, I think that that it, the problem doesn't just stay there. This actually is a problem for everyone in in the novel's terms for everyone involved. in. in, in oh, in I agree. And I don't think I think that it is concerned with the sort of liberal problem of civilization. But it's also like, never ever loses sight of the extractive capital that undergirds this right like so yes. we know this in the in the book it's about ivory mm -hmm. um but i think that that like like it's being is it the belgian congo or could it be english or french or portuguese it could be any number of trades yeah right um, but what but matters well, is that it's extractive and i think it wasn't rubber was like the most brutal uh economy in the belgian congo i think too yeah um, a little bit the way that sugar was in the um caribbean mm -hmm. yeah yeah like, like very really labor. violent like or cotton in the yes u.s yes like like very not only required a lot of labor to extract it but it's just a very kind of physically demanding form of labor as well um right oh well rubber until it's oil and then that is yeah, yes like, and then it's yeah, yeah yeah right yeah and then actually like i don't know what it's something you know that's a little bit of a aside um i i did as i was reading this think like oh you know i wonder what uh people who are into eco-criticism have thought about this because like there is a way in which like 
the violence of empire on the land itself is like is is coming through here uh, like there's a lot of there's a lot of uh yeah just like piles of shit in the jungle that have been produced by this or just like like swaths of forests that have been cleared and replaced by death um that i thought like wow this actually you know considering this is 120 years old this is seems very forward thinking to, to some more modern mm-hmm. critiques to me i think it is sort of uh important that so we're, we can talk about these the the extraction thing is front and center, but it sort of seems important to me that the resource that gets focused on is is the ivory, yeah, mm. because it's it's not rubber, like it's not something you're going to use to make stuff. It's it's this like it's a luxury it's commodity, white, right. right? Yeah, it's this it's this white yeah luxury material, mm-hmm. yeah. and so whereas Marlowe kind of gets stuck like his his ship. Or his boat, or what the fuck? His his tugboat, choo choo. <laughs> I don't fucking know. Um, it's somewhere in between a ship and a boat, right? Yeah. Am I wrong? Yeah. Yeah, it's something. Yeah. 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 No, that sounds right. But he can't make it go because he doesn't have the rivets that he needs. Yeah. They have a million. So so like, there's this problem of like, there's a buttload of ivory that that's being taken. You know, that is being extracted mm-hmm. um but we're still out of these things that we really need yeah if we're Marlowe. yeah and the people there's this moment that uh he's talking about the, the it's a it, the, it's in that same part where he's like trying he's trying to rebuild his stupid boat that's been like shipwrecked or something <laughs> mysteriously because everything has to be like impossibly fucked up yes that he's talking about the congolese guys who are working who are working on this and they're paid for some reason in like wire Mm-hmm. yes right? right they're paid in these like weird metal things that like they can't eat they can't like, they eat. can't do anything with and they them. can't even use them mm-hmm. to either they can't right? even it's use like them. because they it's like oh they'll just they'll just use these lengths of wire to buy shit in villages except there either are no villages or like they, they just don't stop at the villages so it's like just it's yeah it's like this this like token of like you know civilization definitely in scare quotes that is like completely unusable and and not yeah and so that i think katie is like super super important as as the sort of other side that conrad is never without right so it's like if we're looking for ivory and that has to be this like luxury white commodity then on the other side of it we have to see these people who are like working or having their labor stolen from them because they can't like fucking eat with the thing that they're given in yeah trade for the work that they're doing Marlowe talks about how stuff needs to be organized and it's something he he talks about from the beginning and mm-hmm. it carries through to the end mm-hmm. it's like about organizing and managing and stuff like like dressing up in your fancy alpaca coat because you don't want right. to you know admit where you are and and it it kind of it kind of like covers everything and it carries through the it's one thing that carries through the whole book mm-hmm. and so yeah i just think like what does that what does that mean how does that relate to the stuff that we talked about about extraction i think for marlo it's like so there's a particular kind of order that he values and in at, by the end it becomes something like what the like the power that kurtz can wield but also like there's something else going on too like he has to hang out with these like nerdy bean counter guys mm-hmm. the whole oh, yeah. time um, because he like can't stand. He says what he can't stand is a disorganization. Yeah. But what he, I think what he means is more like the brutality, which is actually like 
which is actually like caused by the efficiency if that makes oh, yeah. sense yeah um yeah so yeah there's just like there's a there's a but that was a buttload of stuff but yeah. um no there was so there, there yeah there, there's one character like fairly minor character he's one of the bean counters you're talking about katie that uh i just like i think that this description that we get like very much goes to what you're talking about so i think this is the this is like one of the first stations that he's at um and everything's falling apart like the the, the colonial office is this dingy like shack but so he sees this guy uh, when near the buildings i met a white man in such an unexpected elegance of getup that in the first moment i took him for a sort of vision i saw a high starch collar white cuffs a light alpaca jacket snowy trousers a clear necktie and varnished boots no hat hair parted brushed oiled under a green line parasol held in a big white hand he was amazing and had a pen holder behind his ear i shook hands with this miracle and i learned he was the company's chief accountant um yeah uh, no and and yeah so like so like that to me is very like the kind of sort of like um the kind of british like colonial fixation of like we you know we order things right like you know if you're if you're in india you still need to like you know keep your uniform buttoned up like have some self-respect you know that kind of shit but you like i have cholera you're gonna look great yes it's exactly like so don't like as you're shitting your pants and, and like your guts out just make sure that you're you know you at least you know fold your trousers the right way like yeah i mean but but like it's so like I don't know. It's like this might be one of those moments where I do think the novel and Marlowe are kind of going in different directions in that, like, I think Marlowe's like, yes, like if everyone just was like this guy, this wouldn't be so fucked up. People wouldn't be dying all over the place because they would at least look good. But I think the novel's like, yeah, but that's like dumb, right? That, 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 that you're focusing on like the most sort of irrelevant minor details of, uh, uh, you know, uh, well, and, and also that like, yeah, Katie, I mean, you, I think you make a really good point that the, that like it is the, or, the organization is actually like the cause of the brutality. So that guy also is like, so marlo is like what a relief to see i think this is also the same guy who's like well if you come out here like you better not have any bowels (laughs) right you're gonna lose them folks yeah yeah also, um, also, there, there's just there's like a chilliness to that dude too right he's be, so they bring in this other like colonial officer who's dying i mean he's like he's in this malaria yes. like delirium and like they just put him on a cot next to this dude's desk and he's just like doo, 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 just going on with his bookkeeping completely right. like ignoring the, the the like very basically a corpse that's like just right but stuff right by his desk you know yeah and he's also like you know it's hard enough to balance the checkbook out here like we have this <laughs> Right, like, right. Like, shut up. I'm trying to add, asshole. I don't care that you're dying. You know, like, he's like, <laughs> he's like, I'm trying to carry the one and do my long division, and this fucker is dying. Right. Uh, well, and this guy, the guy in the like fancy pants, it's I all I'm always interested in like what reflections a given character has on Kurtz. Yes. Yeah. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's like he's not. It's just not right in terms of reading this book to think of Kurtz as being like a pure symbolic object because he's not that's just it's a it, this novel has much more sort of psychology embedded in it but he's mm-hmm. one of those people he's one of the guys who thinks he's like the the tits he's just like yeah Kurtz is a first class agent and he's a remarkable person yeah, right so right. he's well, one of those people who's mm-hmm. like he's good at he's good at getting stuff no exactly and yeah it, and and like I don't I mean well, this guy started like no one's really had contact with Kurtz for a long time, other than the like the vast quantities of, of ivory he was sending down the river. And for this guy, that's like you know, okay, that that's that all. is the, 
yeah, that's the symbol of like, if you, if you're good out here or not, it's like how, how, what, how, how big do you make the numbers that I'm putting into my, my ledger book? Right. Yeah. Uh, and he's like very nervous that, um, that Marlo's going to talk shit about him to Kurtz. Cause he's like, right. Oh, you're going to see him first. Yeah. Uh, and he's also the guy who like, who Marlo is very drawn to him. Cause he, he's sort of like, he needs to be in his hut where he can like be a little more secluded. Mm -hmm. But he's also like, this guy is like kind of a tool. Um, and he just wants the like whatever widget from him to um to put the boat back together. But the but uh like the guy keeps he doesn't send for it or something, so he's like they keep getting like calico scraps and right. like other bullshit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And not the one little widget that the rivet that apparently like has been just like they were lousy with them the last place they were. <laughs> yeah. Right. And yeah. the rivet means the same thing. It just means like a like a like a stud, right? Like it's essentially just like a little nail. Yeah. It's a really hot right. guy, yeah, a stud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's what it's what they it's what they used before they had um uh modern welding. Um Right, it's just what's used to repair the side of the boat. Yeah. It's yeah, so it's yeah, it's okay. like it's, they need a box of nails. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's right. just it's another one of those like why do things have to be so like ironic and fucked that it's not like you need something that's impossible to get you need a box of fucking nails right yeah and i agree with you tristan in the sense that like when you know that's where the no novel diverges because like he says um everything that the that the like fussy little accountant guy is like tell kurtz that everything's great here and then marla says he turned to his work the noise outside had ceased and presently in presently in going out i stopped at the door in the steady buzz of flies, the homeward bound agent was lying flushed and insensible. The other bent over his books, was making correct entries of perfectly correct transactions, and 50 feet below the doorstep, I could see the still treetops of the Grove of Death. And this is the thing. That's the, like, unskimmable. Yes. Right? Because mm -hmm. you get the, like, this is a tiny, it's barely, it's not even really a paragraph. It's this tiny, tiny thing. And you get wound up in this little tiny part like the gross gross dying guy the guy bent over his little account you know keeping his account and then 50 people 50 congolese yeah. people dying outside in the grove of death yeah no it, yes. that right exactly and 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 so it, it's kind of like that 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 to me is like the, the entire business of empire all being part of the same thing, right? Like it's the, like the dipshit exactly. who's like, yes. so he's like, Oh, look how fancy my uniform is. And like the, the piles of bodies, it's like there, there, you know, there, there's no, like, we want to like separate these things in our mind. We want, okay. Like, the, like, Oh, like this is the horror, right. Of empire. But it's like, yeah, but the horror is embedded in all of the fucking minutia that is yes. happening everywhere constantly. Um, and every scene has to be like three layers of fucked up in some way. And that's what I mean. Like, Oh, we can't get a box of nails. And also like this guy is dying next to me and he has to do his like fussy figures. Cause like, good for you for keeping your collar clean. And, yeah. and make sure that kurtz thinks that i'm a good boy like every scene has to be five <laughs> things simultaneously and they all have to be like roundly fucked in every way yes exactly <laughs> yeah i think it's like <clears throat> conrad is like well if you don't get it this way maybe you'll get it <laughs> right. that way yeah. so, yeah. so like after 
so like we do the bean counter thing where the guy's dying and then then right or like shortly after that is this like weird farcical scene where um he's with this guy who he like he says like he's just like a fat guy and he can't he keeps fainting so yes. we have to carry him in a hammock and no one wants to be the one who carries him in the hammock yeah. so um and he's like dragging this guy's ass and he they drop him and he like you know his face gets all fucked but also during the time when they're like hauling him he they trip over a dead guy with like a bullet in, in his, his head eyes. yes yes and so it's like and he yeah conrad has this like fucking chilling line where he's like nothing nothing would have improved this scene except for if not for the person with the bullet hole in his head like it's right yeah right it's just so fucking chilling yeah there's also that scene where you were talking about this um when marlo uh loses his um the other other guy who he relies on to steer the ship and he gets like speared through the abdomen and marlo's like uh like my feet were warm and wet and it turns out that like there was his blood, blood was like all in my shoes it was in my shoes it was in my socks and he was like i can't believe i threw a pair of new shoes out of the boat but like what are you gonna do right right but right. that's also he like, takes his like I I mean okay so t- maybe I'm wrong tell me but like I took that moment where he's like I threw him overboard and he's like what the fuck did I do as this weird turn in Marlowe of like that's when he starts to go kind of cuckoo mm-hmm. yeah or he probably already has been it's not actually that he starts to it's that he becomes aware of something in himself that has like fallen off the shelf yeah that yeah so there's there's two like that's when he's like i didn't i don't know why this bothered me so so much but actually like it's because i was relying on this guy and we developed a bond yes the the moment where he starts to know he's becoming unhinged is that moment where he he encounters the guy who has the bullet between his eyes and he says um i was starting to become like a specimen or like a subject of inquiry yeah 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 Yeah. and that's i mean like i think that we are uh you know i think that again this is like everything is four things simultaneously but that he's not aware at the level of his sort of like diegetic prose or however you want to think about this he marlo is not aware that it's the death of congolese or african people that is precipitating this but the novella absolutely is oh yeah no totally totally i sort of have a different take i don't know if you two both share share um the view of marlo but i sort of do think that he is more on the same page with the novel than um than uh i think like maybe you're that then maybe you are reading um and i i don't know if like i think there's ambiguity there that you can sort of read it both ways um i sort of like really did uh take marlo to be aware because he says a couple times um you know these drums like maybe they mean the same thing as church bells mean actually Mm -hmm. and stuff but i could be like sort of assuming everything comes out of marlo's mouth and maybe it doesn't so i think there's actually two things going on there and that we're talking about slightly different things and one is marlo's self-awareness and one is marlo's atmospheric awareness because for me he actually is highly attuned to it sounded like church bells or these people are dying and that's actually like super fucked. But I don't think he's aware in a really 
obvious way of his own sort of turns away from like what he thinks is his own logic yeah so, so right. those are rendered in like confusing ways but i think that he's very much attuned to like how fucked this is yeah like yeah so uh, megan you you had uh to talk about like how when he returns to london at the end and he's very kind of icked out by by london after this experience he up well he he, he, he gulliver's up there right that's, like, i'm he, sorry that's yeah. what i meant i meant yeah. gulliver oh shit i apologize which is a comparison that i know uh critics have made um but i do think that like i mean one th- one thing like that happens in, in gulliver's travel sort of is that like like I don't know. It's like Gulliver becomes more and more aware of how fucked up people are, but it's only in those last few pages when maybe he's finally where like, no, but you are also part of this fucking problem that I, that I think that that, that that is something we see here that he like his, his awareness as he gets more and more kind of deranged does increase. And yeah, I think you're, you're right. He's always atmospherically aware, but it's, it's not until later in the novella and maybe never that he gets that like right but i am also part of this thing in a way that i think that the novel does get like want us to get that you know i guess i just like the thing that i get stuck on is the thing that we that um that you were both bringing up that i hadn't thought uh like as much about um which is the framing so i sort of really take it to be uh marlo of the present that's that's oh. the one who's go, re-going on the journey um okay. because of like the because of like the snide jokes he makes like i don't know if that's what um h- how the like if that layer of irony is possible for it for if we're supposed to take this to be him experiencing it the first time right right i just um, I, that's like a, a genuine question no, that is really smart right because yeah. he he's um uh 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 a redoubled first person right because he's it's a first person that's actually telling an audience of of characters not a not a reader yeah so like let's talk about the boat and then let's talk about the river meaning the the two rivers the thames and the congo and we're right because we open on the thames Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Tristan, is the thames this is like uh I I'm, I know I'm constantly asking you to like show off, but um, <laughs> this is the Victorian late, 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 late end stage Victorian Thames that's like super gross and full of poo and bodies, right? Yeah, well, I mean that's the Thames for like from the Middle Ages basically until like the late <laughs> the late twentieth century. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. 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 I think they had, well, so they had so they had um old London Bridge, and also this is this is like this is um downriver of London, but like old London Bridge is gone at that point, which is good because basically like old london bridge was it's a medieval bridge built on so many tiny arches that it kind of effect it be, became a dam so like everything <gasps> everything upriver of that bodies which is, and poo. <laughs> yeah exactly nah. so it's it's a much more navigable and use uh usable waterway at that point but yeah still super gross uh, uh gross things thrown into the thames all the time and um, they're not cleaning it up in the late 19th century right like we still have huge fucked up cholera outbreaks and like yes well and and but also just like um you know that all the steamships that would come up into in you know like well up into london be it it's just there's a lot of industrial activity a lot of a lot of hydrocarbons going into that (laughs) right yeah yeah yeah. super gross uh but 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 it's like 
so like imperialist terms, right? It's like, it's the kind of, it is, it is the, like the Imperial river. It's the, it's, you know, it's like, Oh, St. Paul sitting on it, all this like romantic, like bullshit, but, but, and, and like the novel, like kind of pulls you into that and then immediately takes it away. I just, I love this. This is the second paragraph of of the novella. The sea reach of the Thames stretched before us like the beginning of an interminable waterway. In the offing, the sea and the sky were welded together without a joint, and in the luminous space, the tan sails of the barges drifting up with the tide seemed to stand still at red clusters of canvas, sharply peaked with gleams of varnished spritz. A haze rested on the low shores that ran out to sea in vanishing flatness. The air was dark above Gravesend, and farther back still seemed condensed into a mournful gloom, brooding motionless over the biggest and the greatest town on earth." So it's like okay, it's like covered in smoke and gloom and filth. Yes. It's like look, London, yeah. the shining beacon, the the metropolis, or the the shining metropole, <laughs> is like oh, already the colony. yes, it is already beset by the same oppressive atmosphere of death and gloom that is the whole world. And the, the Thames is like the entranceway to the like the empire. It's like, but it is from the very for the very first page, an empire of death. Like so, so it's like it's like gesturing towards all these kind of imperial signifiers, but like to immediately kind of like question and undermine what the content of those things is. And in one of those, like, uh, uh, you know, why does this? Why is this embedded with the sort of modernist novel? That paragraph is like straight out of the wasteland. Mm-hmm yeah no it absolutely is is like it could be modernist poetry essentially um okay so we get this bleak bleak river which is like the bleak bleak river in africa it's 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 the double right yeah and except it's like it has a different pollutant yes it's not it right it's not it's not the like the mist of uh, the fog of like <clears throat> the jungle and of, of 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 empire really it's like it's of of industry and shit like that right i mean i think that that matters i think it matters too but i think that ultimately those distinctions collapse right like because the whole world okay. is sort of like a product of uh, you know, it's it's like I think that one thing that, that that the doubling in this novel accomplishes is like it postulates difference, but then it sort of collapses that. And like I, I I do think like empire as a global form is something that this novel is 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 really teasing out. But like you know, so so but as it's doing that, what's happening is the problems of the colony are also the problems of the metropole, and the the, the way in which each is polluted is like you know it's it's like th- th- there's distinction but ultimately you're kind of like but what is that distinction you know but here's where i will gently kindly disagree with you which is that mm-hmm. i think that having the specificity of like so the smoke in london we know is deadly we know this empirically now yeah but that yeah. kills people yes but but the the bodies are at a remove from us because yes the way that the public sphere operates at that moment is that like even though death is this is this is the thing i talked about sort of with um dracula is that like the victorians are obsessed with bodies and one of the things that they begin to do is withdraw them from public sight right yeah right but in in the in the congo there are bodies right up next to you right up on the shore right so like the effect of that colonial violence is just right right there yes and I think that that isn't isn't breaking down what you're saying. It's not – I'm not saying that, like, these things are not doubles for each other. I think they are. But I think the immediate presence of bodies is significant. Yeah. No, I, I – I, yeah, I, I agree with that. 
So I also think that like if you are so so the bodies are being uh hidden from view, the sickness of um the factories and the smoke and all of this, it's it's hit largely hidden from view. But if you are somebody who is like uh like Jack London, who does all of these like um like sort of uh like voyeur narratives of the poor, mm-hmm. you see you see it too. Right. So yeah. it's like you so if you did the same project um like he only sees the bodies in africa because he goes there um you could go to these other like you could go into the factories you could go into the workhouses you could see it if you if you looked well and and, yeah and and i think and and i do think that that is the novella doesn't represent it you know like i think that being on the river is the double that tristan is talking about and i think that we're not not seeing the effect of late i wish i i was about to say late capital which is like so sad <laughs> um course, british yeah. liberal imperial yeah. finance capital well, yeah well and i, and I do think though that, that that is it's like the that that um the way that like the metropole hides shit hides violence hides hides death um that that is something that is like it, it is postulated is postulated i think the bookkeeper that we talked about earlier just going about his his figures while this guy's dying next to him while there's piles of corpses outside that that i actually one uh, a piece of scholarship i was thinking about was uh was ian balcom's um specters of the atlantic where totally. he sort of oh like God, talks yes. about how like just by re like you look at like something that looks as anodyne as a table of numbers but like in the context of like the slave trade, it's like there are millions yes. of bodies hidden in those numbers, um, like on a, on a, on a balance sheet. Um, and and I think that, that that is something that like this novel is dramatized. It's like yeah, it's like we don't see the death, but that's just because we've hidden it from view. It is still like like and if if you scratch at the surface, you will see the omnipresence that is not just locally localized in the Congo, but is it, it is just it is it is a feature of the global imperial world. Yeah, it's this. It's similar to me of like this. This thing that Simone Brown talks about in Dark Matters when she's talking about the drawing of of how many slave bodies can fit in a ship. Yes, yes, right. Yeah, so it's yep. like you're looking at something that seems anodyne. You're going over these figures that can't not be embedded in this vast n- network of imperial capital. That's actually like really, really impossible to see the the scope of it, except for looking at something. And I think. That is actually something that Conrad does beautifully, which is like, it's not that we see the entire scope of it, but we get a sense yeah. of yeah. its violence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is shorn up by the double. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah. I think right. that, that the English um, scene, that London, is both the sort of like, like the the metropole of the colony uh but also like we're smart enough to know as readers that like people are dying they're just dying behind more close like slightly more closed doors yeah Yeah. yes totally i think he thinks of us us as readers as being quite smart people i don't think he uh despises he might despise us because i think he's like a pretty he's like oh are you too embedded in the colonial project right right (laughs) Or else he wouldn't publish this in Blackwoods, but like he doesn't take us as being dumb. No. I don't think. No, I think you're I think you're right. I think that's on that's that sounds right yeah. to me. Um 
so I did. I also, said, he's like would be mad at us if we had anything but like. Except our structural relationship to Marlo is so fucked up because we can't be him, but we also can't hate him. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, he's not quite an anti-hero. Like, we can't really live in the space of, no, he, like, he defi- who is this guy? He definitely is written to sort of pull you into his uh, his viewpoint in a, in, a, in a way that, like, um, a, a lot of other narrators... Uh, but don't get comfy yeah. there. No, exactly. No, no, exactly. Don't. It could. Yeah, it'll end up in a bad place. So I did have a question. So Megan, you, you, the other W you, you talked about was the, the the Congolese woman. This this kind of beautiful figure um, that we meet briefly. Don't don't really. I mean, we she she exists mainly as an image. We see her. Yes. We see her. Yeah. Um, and then the intended uh, his you know Kurtz's fiance back in in Europe. So I and I had a question. So like um, yeah, I I was who's her, you know, who are, who's her physical opposite? She's like particularly like a white whitey white yes. lady yes she has yes. the fair brow of somebody from 400 yeah. years ago <laughs> yes uh although and, and this is not at all a claim that the way the congolese woman is described is not is not racist uh but it it, it is like it that that dichotomy in this novel is not between like like beauty and abjection as like that those Ooh. are often postulated they are both like put, described as like beautiful figures of, of some kind um but it's just that one has like a highly eroticized content and yes. the other doesn't. Yes. For me, at least as a reader, I don't think the intended is eroticized. No, I agree. And and, no. and again, I like there there's definitely uh, a racism. Not that that's over. like great. Yeah, that's a like yeah. So I, I'm I, just gonna read a tiny bit if that's yeah. okay. Because yeah, yeah, I think that this description is quite noteworthy. Um and she does this amazing thing with her body where she can like stride with sort of Amazonian purpose and then stop perfectly still, right? He says mm-hmm. her heart, it's like her heart stopped. Mm-hmm. But when we first see her, he says she walked with measured steps, draped in striped and fringed cloths, treading the earth proudly with a slight jingle and flash of barbarous ornaments. She carried her head high. Her hair was done in the shape of a helmet. She had brass leggings to the knees, brass wire gauntlets to the elbow a crimson spot on her tawny cheek, innumerable necklaces of glass beads on her neck, bizarre things, charms, gifts of witchmen that hang about her, hung about her, glittered and trembled at every step. She must have had the value of several elephant tusks upon her. She was savage and superb, wild-eyed and magnificent. There was something ominous and stately in her deliberate progress. And in the hush that had fallen suddenly upon the whole sorrowful land, the immense wildness, the colossal body of the fecund and mysterious life, seemed to look at her pensive as though it had been looking at the image of its own ugh, tenebrous and passionate soul right so it's again this conrad thing where it's like aren't you pulled into isn't it also this you know yeah like yeah yeah aren't you part of the like participatory thing here right yeah and she's contrasted with a sort of like pale um fiance but i think what our sort of question was is like why that she appears to me as like yet another person like the fiance who clearly has been taken in by Kurtz. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And that she is this sort of like gorgeous, but, oh, but like pretty racistly eroticized yes. figure is our way of seeing women's, I don't know, position with respect to like, male desire yeah Mm -hmm. and there's something yeah there's because there's something that he uh like is turned on by about her yes the description um and it's there's something that 
scares him about it too uh that that she's somehow very frightening and covered in luxury um, he, goods, which I think we have to sort yes. of note as being like, she mm-hmm. has all of the tchotchkes. This is weird mm-hmm. to say. The tchotchkes of the empire. Yeah. But like, she is. Yeah. Well, she's, and she can't, she can't be silent because she, because everything jingles. Right. Um, because she's covered in in so in so much gold and um, ivory. She had a whole elephant yeah. all over her. Well, yeah. And also. And, no, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, um, well, this is maybe uh, another thing, but like the feet, the intended is also, um, she's like glowing. Yeah. He says, like yeah. she's so white, she glows. And but there's also something that's really scary about her too. Like he, um, he keeps saying, uh, when, um, when she's talking, he's like, uh, I, I felt a chill grip on my chest yes. don't yes. i said it well, and, right and the fact that she's like she's exceeded the standard period of mourning right that she's which that that's all that's a trope kind of from victorian fiction of like yeah i mean i think you you were supposed to be victoria like, you, you, did that yes yes exactly she was in mourning for her whole adult life which is like so fucking her yeah. and maudlin and just yeah. like fuck that well, no totally um but, but I, yeah there's right so the like deep mourning is all all black everything your yes. ribbons, your hat, whatever. Veil, your veil, all that shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the other woman is in like a state of semi nudity, I think we're supposed to read that yes, way. And yes. also covered in like glittering. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, her body and her garments state are staged opposite to each other. Well, and you know what too? Like I like so in addition to like the kind of I, I you know, I think fairly like sort of uh, you know, familiarly like kind of racialized fear of the other and the sexuality of the other, which is certainly happening there. Like one 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 sort of difference between the two, I think, that uh might might be important with this novel is that the Congolese woman is privy to information that the intended is right like oh, yeah. like when she like because she has like what were his final words and rather than saying the horror which they were and and marlo feels bad about lying to her but he's like but i get the truth right. he says oh it was your name it's like the kaigalese woman like knows exactly like what kurtz was up to and what his life looked yeah. like in this space um so oh, of course yeah 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 so I, and i do it but it, like the novel doesn't really do anything with that other than like that's information we have you know like and yeah so anyway um marlo is that's one of the things he doesn't read right like we he receives that effectively but he doesn't he doesn't narrate that well the distinction you know like he doesn't do the doubling thing there although like he does sort of note like she looks striking but i don't think she's like animalian you know what i'm saying like she doesn't go into the territory of like full blown if kipling-esque insanity no no and this is something that he does again and again which is like he marlo says they're cannibals and i am 99 percent sure these people are not supposed to be represented no. as cannibals no I, because they're yeah. fucking starving to yeah. death no exactly exactly yeah that, yeah yeah right it's more than his and they outnumber him them the white people six to one yes. like if they wanted to eat somebody they fully could no totally well marlo says yes. that yes oh, does he, okay. sa- he says and he's like there's a sense he says it's their restraint yes. he says they have some restraint yes. and he thinks yes. about it right I, it's just like it's that thing where it's like his englishness isn't gone right he's like these must be cannibals and yet 
n- clearly that no yeah yeah this black well they bring woman is also like not gonna kill him right no and also the the people who he keeps describing as cannibals the big problem they have with them i think is that they bring this like rotten hippo yes. meat. oh right yes. which with is inedible them? yes mm-hmm. and they th- yeah and so um they they throw it away uh and he he's like well, i think he says something like well how could you throw away food for people who are starving but like you've never smelled what rotting yeah. hippo smells like if you ask that question right. or and they keep they have these weird little hardtack things yeah like mm-hmm. rotten dough you know it's like if you could eat a person if you were a person who wanted to eat a person yeah you would okay so on that <laughs> disgusting note um <laughs> katie do you have do you have some final wrap-up stuff for us i do i have uh i've got some questions well i yeah i have some questions um i think that we can all agree that this this is this is a dense novel novella and it seems like the internet agrees (laughs) Uh, yeah and so um a a young learner wrote into a help me with my essays website with the following question P.S. Do you think young learners are listening to our podcast and doing book reports? <laughs> that would be amazing. I, 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 I can't wait for uh, for, for AP English papers to be like, uh, many critics have described Frankenstein as an adult uh, large son. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for papers on Emma that say, critics have said, Jane Austen is a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Redefining genres. Not wrong, but... Okay, so what does our young learner say? Uh, what what troubles him about Heart of Darkness? So uh, I'm required to study Heart of Darkness, but I really can't because its language is very difficult. Can anyone help me to do so? Okay, so to the rescue then comes Karen, certified educator. <laughs> Karen, sadly, Karen all says, of us too, certified educators. Yeah, I got this. Yeah. Sorry, everyone who's ever taken a class with one of us. <laughs> certified educators. Karen says it seems there are at least three problems with the language of Heart of Darkness. The first is its use of specialized jargon that not everyone can know. Is that true? What do you? Well. I don't know, but but what I'm wondering is, can you two please help this this young learner? What do you think the problems are? What would you like to tell little Timmy that the problems with Heart of Darkness are? Can any can you help him to study it? Oh, so should we answer the question like, is the problem jargon, or should we say, why don't you do this? I think so. So Karen has identified one of the three problems, and we have so two I, more. I, I have like, two more and I have to subscribe to get the other two. Oh, fuck and I'm not that. <laughs> yeah. So, so I want to know what the other two no. problems are, and I was hoping that you two could maybe shed some light on this and, and, and elucidate. I have said to again. I don't want to say this is an affront to my incredibly dedicated, wonderful, brilliant students, but I have said to them on occasion don't read it there's a movie right right (laughs) and i have never seen a room full of more horrified expressions yeah than when i have taught uh the aeneid and said to them there's a movie it has brad pitt in it (laughs) 
and seen that they think that I am being sincere. Yeah. Yeah. So to tell this young man, the problem that you're having with Heart of Darkness is that you have not seen the movie is... Yeah. Although I think that movie is also, like, for being two and a half hours long, incredibly dense. Yeah. No, it is. <laughs> it is. Um, I will also say, like, yeah. now, Troy is a bad movie. Very. Very I bad. I am not actually and, advocating and yet, see it instead yet, of reading the Iliad. And yet... The Iliad, I'm sorry. And yet it manages. It's not the Iliad at all. No, the Iliad Iliad would would be much better because the Iliad is one of the most boring fucking pieces of literature. The Iliad is a waste of time. It is a list of names. Yeah, the Odyssey is so much fucking better. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, the Iliad is just a list of names. Oh, the Odyssey fucking rocks yes. i love that book. yes exactly oh, um yeah i mean the the iliad is 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 seven thousand lines of achilles being like i'm too mad to fight fuck you guys my boyfriend's dead fuck you i hate all of you <laughs> and then and then yeah it's, why can't i get my dick out you yeah. guys are you guys are stupid yeah. and this is dumb the iliad yeah. sucks so like yeah homer what the fuck the iliad man? full sucks <laughs> but, and so yeah so as bad as <laughs> troy is it's a better time than the iliad um yeah, I, I mean, like, I don't know, like, what what would I say to to this uh, this young guy other than like, look, dude, like, late nineteenth century prose is really not that hard. Uh, <laughs> not in comparison, <laughs> but it is super dense. So it, I would say something well, to the effect of like, read slower, ding dong. Yeah, well, right, and also that just like this is going to sound like such a like fucking pedantic thing to say, uh, and I know this is typically our jokey time, uh, but 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 I do think that this is like. Is, is 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 serious about about how you read stuff like you've got to embrace like the board like reading can suck i mean like totally. r- a lot of the times re- like do- like don't expect that every time you crack open a book it's gonna be like wow like i just want this is a real fucking page turner um and sometimes it sucks because it's actually just terrible and sometimes it's like it's hard it's like it's challenging you to like yeah like read slower like you know spend more time thinking over a sentence um and, and yeah just i guess like lower your expect actually that lower your expectations about everything in life really I and think you'll that's have a right, better time <laughs> i think another <laughs> thing to think about is that it takes it just takes it can take a ton of fucking practice yes that is true yeah i mean like i the the um you know i mean i'm a weirdo who reads 18th century prose all the time the first time i tried it like i did it was i didn't enjoy it i thought it sucked and then i just got good at it because i kept doing it but if i hadn't read like robinson crusoe and gulliver's travels before i tried to read tristram shandy I would have been like up to my goddamn neck. Oh yeah, sure, sure. No, I mean, you know, it's like I didn't read the, I didn't read Ulysses, the, the Ulysses. I know that might be confusing because I just talked about the Odyssey uh, until I read The Sound and the Fury and Mrs. Dalloway and like was totally in the in the vernacular of reading modernist prose. And like, if you're in modernist prose, Ulysses does not is ulysses is a book full of dick and fart jokes right and if you're not like if the muscle isn't warm it can feel the way that people are like ulysses is really hard and it makes you a good person if you've read it (laughs) 
and I'm I just I just fucking better than you. And I'm like, that's not just not straight up not true. I'm just using my desire to own Pete Buttigieg to help fuel my uh, you know, my uh, (laughs) dickhead. But but no, it's like no, but actually that that's good. Like yeah, I I you know I'm 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 a doctor of reading shit, and uh, and and and, (laughs) uh, books, and and as I'm I'm like getting sort of like training myself to do what you're saying, Megan. That get into those kind of cadences of, of modernist prose. That's a challenge for me. So it's, you know, just like not all reading is fun, uh, but do it. It's and this good. book is a challenge in modernist prose. <laughs> yes, it is. This one. It is. It totally is. So if your teacher is like, this is hard to read, then just be like, this is hard to read. Okay, well, that is going to like to be my problem. That's my problem is that it's hard to read. Yeah. That's fine. It doesn't make you dumb. Yeah. It makes the book hard. Yeah, exactly. So Build that was character. a. So what I'm hearing... No, oh, I just this is much more sincere than we typically are. Yeah, sorry, 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 young no. readers. Yeah. I, think I think it's... Advice. Yeah. <laughs> so listen, it was actually quite it was solicited. Utterly solicited. It was direct, Good point. It was directly solicited. So um, Karen, certified educator, says um, it's the use of specialized jargon. Megan, you say the problem with Heart of Darkness is that it's not a movie. Mm-hmm. Tristan, you say the problem with Heart of Darkness is uh, stop being such a whining Gen Z piece of shit <laughs> and, uh, and fuck up and fucking yes. stop playing Pokemon Go for a second and live your goddamn life and you, maybe you'll learn Fortnite. something. Fuck. Back in my day. Yeah. They're not playing Pokemon Go. You're 80. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know about the Vigi games. Fortnite. Back in my days, it's, uh, you had to stare at the box of a video game real hard till you could convince yourself that the bullshit on the screen looked anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> only had Better eight than bits. Corn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Collecting <laughs> coin. We only had one headshot. Uh, we only had the we, one. Yeah. We only had the one. Um, actually, I hate to I hate to ruin it, but it turns out that we can know what Karen's three points are. Uh, the first is is um, the use of specialized jargon, of course, that not everyone can know. The second is the elegance of the vocabulary. Uh, and the third is so the So isn't that the, the opposite of what she said in the first one? Elegance. Uh, it, yeah. it can't, she's certified. Okay, whatever. I mean, you know. She's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. I, I will have to learn what this institution is that certified her. Uh, oh, but you can bird. get a certified... You can be a certified home organizer, so people giving out certificates for all kinds of Damn, things. we are burning Karen, poor Karen, right now. But <laughs> we are roasting poor Karen. Karen. Sorry, Karen. Do you have one more for us? I just had the one question. That is fine, Not because that. I feel like we have We're given good. something yeah. free. I feel like I've just given like a little professorial yeah. detail for free. Mm-hmm. Totally yeah don't read don't read the iliad don't read anything don't read anything tv is better and also like if you gotta read it slow that's okay yeah yeah doesn't make you stupid no no or bad at books no get your literature from podcasts get your literature from podcasts listen to let 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 better read than dead do your book report for you I'm sure that that'll go over great in places where people are not super sensitive to like Marxist analysis. (laughs) Jane Austen, a total cunt, talking about how marriage is a property arrangement. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, thank you for being here with us on our adventure. This has been Better Red Than Dead. 
You can find Tristan on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find me on Twitter at Tusslersaurus. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at BetterRedPod with R-E-A-D. And email us at betterredpodcast at gmail.com, but only if it's to share what you dream of making your cryptic last words and what you dream of being the lie that your messenger tells your spouse. (laughs) Our intro song is Love Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Thank you. And our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Make sure you rate and review us and subscribe. Reviews are super great and important and we love them. And on our next episode, we will be talking Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which yet again, my mother brought up in a phone conversation. Great. (laughs) Because she loves 19th century prose. Um, And we still have Ulysses on the docket. So thanks. Thanks.